Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Aviation Avenue podcast. Folks, I'm happy to be back with you recording another episode of our podcast. My name is Braden Piscopo. I'm your host. And uh, before we get to our scheduled topic, uh, a few announcements, and then we will get to it. So, everybody, uh, on Saturday, uh, I was down at the fourth annual Carol Shelby tribute at Lion Air Museum in Santa Ana, California. I had a super amazing time uh, with my dad uh, going to see the amazing cars and uh, aircraft at Lion Air Museum and what they uh, had to offer. Uh, I saw a lot of people there that recognized me and. Um, uh, talked with them for a little bit. It was very uh, good time. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to next year. Thank you again to the Lion Air Museum for all their hard work in putting this together. And um, yeah, so thank you again. I can't wait for next year. So everybody, if uh, and then another announcement. I will actually on uh, I'm actually actually coming up on May 6th and 7th is the is the Wheels Tracks and Wings event 2023 at the Plains of Fame Air Museum in Chino, California. I cannot wait. I am looking forward, uh, very much looking forward to this wonderful event. Going to be featuring a lot of things, including uh, uh, some tanks from uh, World War Two, er, World War Two, and uh, aircraft uh, that are be flying uh, that are owned by Planes of Fame, and much more. I will be going Sunday, May seventh, twenty twenty three, with my dad. Uh, catch me in uh, either a Planes of Fame t-shirt or just uh, anything I can find that's aviation related. Looking forward to it. More updates to come soon on the event. And uh, yeah, so everybody, today we're going to be talking about the B-25 Mitchell. Now, this is a bomber that was used in World War II. It was a light bombing airplane. Our special guest, uh, Mitch Bertring from the uh, Commemorative Air Force Minnesota Wing is going to be... discussing this aircraft with us so we hope you guys enjoy it and we'll talk to you on the back end hi my name is mitch bertrang i'm one of the many volunteers of the minnesota wing of the commemorative air force here today at eaa 2022 air venture and behind me is the beautiful b25j bomber miss mitchell so we're going to be doing a little bit of walk around in this aircraft and talk a little bit about its history and some of the unique features of this B-25 and some of the restoration projects that we've accomplished and we still have in process. So the very first thing would be the nose art on this aircraft. This nose art was painted by the actual artist that painted it back in 1944, and it was Ray Kowalik. And, and Ray was just a young, he was just a young tech sergeant. He worked on instrumentation, things like that. And he painted a, quite a number of the B-25s within the 310th Bomb Group. The aircraft arrived in the spring of 1944, and they chose this this nose art. It was a beautiful, brand new, non-painted aircraft, and it was one of the stories is is they wanted to name it something um, to kind of give it honor of how pretty it was. You know, like Miss America, Miss Minnesota, Miss Wisconsin, Miss Mitchell. Of course, named after the the. Uh, World War II B-25, Miss Mitchell, named after Billy Mitchell. And it was a centerfold, or a gatefold, from Esquire magazine. And it was Esquire magazine um, in 1943, December, and it, it will always be Christmas. The original, the original gatefold had a scarf that came off of it, 
and my understanding was the reason they didn't put the scarf on, which is on some other aircraft, is because they wanted to be able to put the bombing missions. And if we, when we go to the other side, you'll see that there's over 130 bombing missions. This, the particular airframe, the original Miss Mitchell, um, so full clarity, this is not the original Miss Mitchell. Miss Mitchell did survive the war without any fatalities on that aircraft. It came back and its last port of call when it was taken out of storage was at Aberdeen Proving Ground. And those that know Aberdeen Proving Ground, they blow things up. So it was a recipient of an air-to-ground missile and that was its final mission. And you know what? A lot of people talk about, you know, it's a shame how all these aircraft got chopped up and they got blown up and stuff, but you know, at least she didn't go to Kingman and simply get chopped up and melted down. So if it was going to happen, I kind of think it's a good story. Uh, this particular airframe, which came off the assembly line on November 10th, 1944, came off a line and it was a trainer. And the reason that we have so many of these B-25s, because there's a number of airframes that still fly in different states of restoration, is because after the war, B-25s were flown um, for quite a while. This particular airframe, uh, it flew until 1957, and the last aircraft, the B-25, that flew with the United States Air Force was until the spring of 1960. So you can see how well they were used and how adaptable they were. Let's face it, they had a lot of R-2600 engines. It's a medium bomber. It was a great base um, aircraft. It was good for uh, transporting uh, people from base to base. And this particular airframe was a radar um, trainer. So it was kind of neat the fact that it lasted until 1957. It was released once it went into surplus, then it was released out of surplus and it went through a number of hands pretty much like all warbirds eventually do uh, so let's walk around the aircraft we've already talked about the beautiful vargas on here and that i know of it may very well be the only uh, warbird that's still potentially flying out there with the original artist ray kowalik actually did paint this and he also painted it in, in the mediterranean in corsica italy and stuff so that's pretty incredible um, North American Aviation, you know, 1939, they designed this aircraft, and, uh, you know, they started production not that that much later, 1940, it took first flight, 41, they're building these, and they made A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, and J's. Now, the meat in the middle were some photographic versions that kind of had these bug eyes on them, so they didn't make very many of the, of the F's and the E's, that sort of thing. The J... Uh, the J was the last model, and the J, those were made over in Kansas City, uh, Kansas City, Kansas at the Fairfax plant. And at the same time, they were also making H's. If you've ever seen the ones that had the cannon, the 75-millimeter cannon, they made a 1,000 of those in Inglewood, California at the same time. So hopefully, hopefully you can still hear me here as we walk along our aircraft. You'll notice that it's it's missing some things that people think it might be missing, um, when in fact it's not. When Miss Mitchell got to the Met, they removed a lot of the things that they didn't need. This wasn't an aircraft that was going to be bombing at 20,000 feet. It was going to be lower on the deck. It was going to be attacking marshalling yards, bridges, that sort of thing. So they took the alcohol system out of it. They took the, um, the oxygen system. They took the de-icing boots out. They took the heaters out. It didn't need any of those things. And they were all they were going to do is add more weight and you know add just more hazard really. So those were were taken out. So as we've done the restoration, we've done everything we can to try to get it back to the original Miss Mitchell. Now 
backing up a little bit, the reason why we chose this artwork on here is because Ray Osley was a member of the Commemorative Air Force Minnesota Wing. He was also the uh, the crew chief on all three of the aircraft, uh, the Miss Mitchell crews. And when they got into deciding what to name this aircraft, it really made sense. Why not name it after Ray's aircraft? There were no fatalities. It was quite a blessed aircraft to go over 130 missions without a fatality. So as we walk along the aircraft, I like, I like to show people what North American did. And you'll notice that we end, up having, we end up having flush rivets all through here. But as we get back and we start having that zone where the, where the air starts getting that separation, about that one inch of separation, you'll notice that we go to button heads. So why do we want to do that? Button heads are a lot easier to put in. I don't have to take and have the complexity of countersinking them. And you'll notice all the way back we have button heads. But in the front, everything is flush rivets in this aircraft. Whereas like the B-26, that ends up having flush rivets, Glen L. Martin, that's the way they designed that aircraft. It's a pretty slippery airframe and stuff. That's really not what this aircraft was designed for. And of course, you know, it was the famous uh, Doolittle raid. You know, when we talk about the 16 B-25 bombers flying off the USS Hornet. That B-25 that flew off the USS Hornet was a little bit different than what this B-25. Again, this is the later model, the J model. And the empennage was different. We have now have a gun position back there they didn't have that they had a ventral turret back here that dropped down of course that was removed um, the the fuel configuration was slightly different you know of course they added all that fuel 1441 gallons was put on that and they flew it off 2,000 pounds over design weight uh, that in of itself we don't have enough time that's an incredible story so as we're doing this walk around why don't we go up inside a little bit and then we'll walk back outside and we'll kind of mix this video up. So we're in the aft section right now. Now, let me tell you a little bit of a story here. So this aircraft was, was acquired in the 1980s. And when we got it, it was this green kind of a hulk of an aircraft and it needed to have a full restoration. So they spent 12 years and it took its first flight after restoration in 1992 at the 50th anniversary of the Doolittle Raid. So it was time for that. So uh, pretty incredible to get the amount of work they had to accomplish in those 12 years. Sounds like a long time, but you know, those of us in the Warbird community, we know that that's actually not that long. When that aircraft that airframe was finished it was absolutely empty it was an empty shell we did not have a turret we didn't have the aft gun position it was just this beautiful shiny aircraft so now let's go ahead and fast forward it's 2022 in all that time we continued to do restoration there's times where we're going a little bit faster and slower and as we all know it's all about donations because we are a nonprofit. and everybody's a volunteer here so i spend actually a fair amount of time back here the back of the aircraft i think is kind of fascinating so let's, let's kind of look around here. Um, I'll have you back up here a little bit. So in the last number of years, we've installed all the racking for the ammunition boxes. We got this finished up. This is the SCR 578, so uh, nicknamed the Gibson Girl. And the shelf, there were a couple of different uh, configuration. This is would be more appropriate for Miss Mitchell. It was a little bit later war where they didn't have the tube anymore and they had everything enclosed. And you're saying, okay, what's in there, Mitch? We have box kite, balloon, 
Jones, hydrogen generator, and then of course the famous Gibson girl, which would go between your legs and has that, that shape for your thighs right here, and it has a crank on it for a generator. And if you're going to ditch this aircraft, I need a way to hopefully contact somebody to get rescued. And all that's inside here, and that would be, um, if it was a ditching, it would be thrown out. And we recently acquired the parachute for it. And that's all hooked on. You throw it out, and everything gets deployed. If you're going to be doing a landing, um, not in water, it would stay put. Now, this is a low frequency, so it needs to have needs to have a long antenna, and you need to have a ground in there. So this is a pretty important um, survival unit, and it needs to be able to transmit quite a distance. So when they made these, they still had the old shelf in here, and this is configured, like I said, for a little bit earlier. Now, we got... We did the armor plating here, and it was kind of an interesting story. A couple years ago, this is about a year-long project. This plating had to go in, and this plating becomes really important because everything feeds this direction and feeds this direction. As we're walking forward, you might notice we have a shelf sitting here and we have a shelf sitting here. The armor plating is kind of part of this because of very, very soon, hopefully 2022, these rails are going to go in, and they're being made by one of our members, and he does absolutely meticulous work. That's going to allow us to put in the flex, the flex shoots here in order to bring those 50 cals to our waste guns. And the only reason they're not in there is we made a decision a long time ago that if we can't make it perfect, we're not going to install it. And these will be perfect once we get them in. I mean, everything in here down to the mic switches that have gone in are exactly from the North American plans. Obviously, we have a few modern things that we have to have in the aircraft, the fire extinguishers and things like that and placards, but we're trying to get it back. And, you know, everything does come out. We can take these. We can move them. So now imagine once we get these these chutes in here, it's going to get a little bit um, a little bit tighter back here. And that's what I always kind of tell people. This was not a pleasant place when you had all of this. And then if you look back, and we'll crawl back there in a bit, there was also chutes that went back to the aft turret. It's actually a turret. It doesn't have to spin to be a turret. It's a bell um, rear gun position. Up here, we have a few things in the back here. We have the heater controls, the 24 volt for the heated suits. They probably weren't wearing heated suits because remember, they took the heaters out, they took the oxygen, they took all that stuff out, and we're in, we're in Italy. Uh, we have the, the lanyards for the throat mics. We've tried to put those in, and we also even have the headset adapters in here. We use modern headsets. This is an incredibly noisy aircraft, and we did bypasses so that we can still use those adapters. What happened was is they have the communication devices throughout the aircraft. Later, they ended up, it, it appears they ended up changing the headsets in a way of adapting these aircraft without having to redesign all the audio system in these different, you know, the B-17s, 24s. They ended up using an adapter in order to adjust the impedance for the headsets. So those are the kind of small little details we're trying to, trying to get. If, you, if you're able to look back, we've got a headset back there, but all the wiring for the radios, we have the radios all set up here down to the, the small little rubber boots, the filters here. Hopefully Hopefully your light will, will pick this some of this up. We have an intervalometer for, we have a K24 camera. Great story, that came out of Europe. Um, we found that a number of years ago. Still sealed in its original box after upwards of 70 years. Still had the desiccant bags in it, um, and it's that large format camera. The window had been removed from this particular airframe, and we went through um, 
through research and getting that window back and then going in and during our winter maintenance we're offline for four months that's a nice thing about being in minnesota we can take these airplanes offline and every year we know we have four four and a half months to work in the aircraft and really do that meticulous detail uh, that's an exciting little piece the seatback just recently went in this is one of the items that i'm really proud of this is our bc 966a iff and the iff that's a pretty pretty rare item to have and that uses pulse modulation on the same frequency for example where um radar would be coming up looking at the aircraft trying to decide is this a friend or is it a, a foe so iff identification friend or foe and inside it has these beautiful stainless steel i believe fingers and that sends the pulse now the the pic or the, the pilot in command he has the ability to change that pulse setting in order to be identified as friend or foe. So, of course, we have identification friend or foes that was used during D-Day. You know, they figured out that all these IFF systems were going to get overwhelmed during D-Day, and that's why those invasion stripes went on. Or in the case of Operation Husky, um, we ended up inadvertently shooting down quite a number of our aircraft because people... Um, they had been getting bombed by the Germans, and these young men ended up shooting down some of our own aircraft. So identification has always been an issue, and of course it's in modern aircraft now. And this is just another example. The antenna system goes down to the AN-95 antenna, and the interesting on this one, it also has a detonation plug. So there would be a detonation charge that would go in here. You have lights, so when, they're, when everything is powered up, you have to know there's a sequence to putting everything together here, plugging together so you don't accidentally detonate it by having uh, an, an energized circuit. And you were able, it would either self-destruct itself by um, having this, this self-destruction switch would, which was set for the uh, G-Force or you have a manually, you can manually do it. The PIC has a red box, you press both buttons, that sends a current and it blows up the charge. So this pesky little plug took me about two years to find one of those little plugs because they don't exist um, very easily to find. Uh, up here, this just went in only a couple of weeks ago. This is going to be part of our uh, um, the SCR uh, 522 system, which is the radios to be able to talk from ship to ship. This just went in. So people always ask the question, well, is there a way to get over the bomb bay? The thing was on the bomb bay is the fact that radios did go up here, dynamotors, that sort of thing. So to answer the question, yes, you could do it, but let's face it, this crew member did not go crawling back and forth um, to get a Diet Coke and, and peanuts. I mean, this was their position. This was the radio gunner. He was responsible for these 250 cals and also responsible for operating the, radi the radios and stuff. And by the way, on the, talking about the radios, we also do have the low-frequency trailing antenna. And that spools out of the um, the lower portion of the aircraft. You can go up, you know, 100 plus feet, and you you set everything here in order to deploy it and to reel it back. And everything's back here. But the only thing that we're missing that'll happen this winter, there's going to be a footrest that's going to go in here, and there's a couple other little things. But the last 10 plus years of work have really paid off to try to get this back to what it needs to be. And again, had this been an aircraft that was not in that theater of operation, you would end up having some heater ducts. Uh, the last remaining thing that we're going to work on, and we have it, 
it's just going to take a number of years of work. There was a life raft compartment. We have that because this was removed because it was a trainer. We're going to be putting that back into this aircraft. I'm hoping maybe in the next three to four years that'll happen. There's some structural things and some things that have to happen. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about money. You know, getting some of these things fabricated that we can't do in-house. If we want to crawl back a little bit, I'll go back here. Restoration-wise, you'll notice that there's some ammunition boxes right here. And in the original aircraft, there would be feed chutes, and they were phenolic. And they would start horizontal, and then they would work their way vertical, and then back to horizontal. So in the rear gun position, which is the most difficult and important thing to have, um, that's all done. It's functional. It elevates. It goes left and right. But we do have some major hurdles in um, getting these built per the specs, and then also uh, making the um, the armor plating. The armor plating won't be too bad. The plans are out there for it to be a matter of cutting that, and it's homogenous steel plates. So that's also a, a project that still probably over the next five years we'll be working on those. So we're going to slowly keep shipping away at that uh, at that glacier. But I'm pretty excited to be able to show the aft section of the aircraft. And you'll notice we don't have airline seats. The, uh, the seats that are in the aircraft are either original or accurate reproductions. During the COVID, I spent uh, about 100 days making new seats, and I could bore you to tears with that. But the seats, by the way, are made out of spruce. They're made out of birch. And the seat itself is three-ply, 116th-inch mahogany plywood. That's all the thicker it was. And they did things like hollowing out the back of the nosing in order to, to reduce the weight and then reinforcing it with some dowels. It's absolutely fascinating, just as something as simple as the seats, what North American Aviation did, because it was all about cutting costs and lowering weight, correct? So we want to get these airplanes off the line as fast as possible. We have we had tons of furniture builders, and we had plenty of resources. But you always want to save this resource, which is aluminum. We're also going to be replacing some of that plexiglass probably this winter. There's some fairly fairly aggressive uh, crazing because that is original plexi. They aren't our identity. Shouldn't part of this whole thing be that people should be free to make the changes as they see fit for their own health? Rather than hashing these things out online, we honestly need to shift these conversations to be between doctors and their patients. Everyone should be allowed to make healthy choices to manage their weight without any shame attached. You can find us online at itsbiggerthan.com and follow us on Instagram at itsbiggerthan. So let's walk a little bit around the nacelle here and just talk briefly about these engines. So these are Wright Cyclone 2600 cubic inch 
14-cylinder, 1700 horsepower. The interesting thing about this particular engine, I always look over to where this TBM is sitting next to us. They get 1900 horsepower out of basically the same engine. One, one 2600 cubic inch uh, engine on one aircraft. So we have two on here. You know, it's a fantastic engine. It's it's extremely reliable. They use these for just years and years and years, and they made a ton of them. They were on the Avenger, the Havoc, uh, Mariner, this aircraft. So Wikipedia says something like 50,000. The math doesn't work particularly well. I suspect they made it 60, 70,000 of these engines. And, you know, that's, again, why the United States Air Force kept using this aircraft, is they had a lot of parts, and it was a solid platform. Uh, fuel consumption, people ask. Typically, fuel consumption runs about uh, 75 gallons an hour per side, 150 gallons. So it's a it's a fairly thirsty aircraft. Obviously, there's there's more there's more aircraft that are even more thirsty than this. But it's uh, it's not a cheap aircraft to operate. That's for sure when it comes to fuel consumption. Uh, why don't we? pop inside here and I can talk a little bit about the turret. Now you can see up there, remember we mentioned that there's a turret in the aft section which is a bell turret. This is a Bendex turret. There aren't a lot of fully functional Bendex turrets. Um, some of the B-25s, they're empty, just a shell or other ones uh, will have like a Martin turret on it because Bendex turrets are so incredibly rare. This one, the Amplodynes work so it does fully rotate and it does elevate up and down. In fact, we were operating it um, just a couple of days ago when we came from South St. Paul to Air Venture here. Let's go inside. All right, let me get a little situated here. And um, I'm going to show you how, how this hatch closes because you might as well see how this all works. So you pull it up, the hatch actually contracts, this floor goes in, and now I have a flat floor. You've got a couple of um, ways of deploying the hatch. We have one of the hatch controls is here. And then let's say I needed to get out of this aircraft. I've got my parachute on. The problem is if I try to go out of this hatch and I'm going 130 miles an hour, that hatch is going to be flopping right against me. So by pulling the red handle there, releases a couple of pins and I jettison the hatch. Same thing happens in the aft section, same hatch configuration. The releases are just in a little bit different area. The aircraft has a number of ways to get out of it. We have an emergency escape over the pilot and the co-pilot. There is also an escape in the nose. And then, of course, we have the hatch here. In the aft section, similar scenario. We have, have a hatch that can be jettisoned. We have an emergency escape panel that's round on the side of the aircraft. And then if you're in the rear gun position, you take your hand over your left shoulder, pull a pin, releases the pins, and then you can throw the canopy off. And you can get out that way. Um, so it's... As far as survivability, it's really, really a good aircraft for that. So this is the famous Bendex turret. So you, you climb up inside, you get your shoulders in here. I can kind of stuff mine in here. It's definitely designed for young men, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. And, you know, they're only 140, 150 pounds. You know, these are small young men back in 1943, 44, 45. You scoot yourself up, you lift from behind you. Lock the seat into place, and you are locked in. Your hand controls go like this, and you go left, right, up, and down. And 
it's not a very pleasant place to be in. You do have heater controls right here to have your heated suit, but when you're up there and you're turning and the 50 cals are moving and the slots open up, the, the air just howls around you. And now, mind you, this is an incredibly loud aircraft with the short stacks. You know, it doesn't purr like a B-17. This thing screams and growls. So if you don't have head protection on, earring protection, uh, you're going to slowly but surely liquefy your eardrums. It is really a loud aircraft. You'd be shocked. I've seen the B-29 take off, you know, with the big four engines there, and the B-25 with its two is just about as loud. It's kind of incredible that way. So let me go ahead and unlock this. Oh, there we go. Get this out of the way. So this pedestal completely locks into the frame and it pivots all the way around. So you need to be away from this aircraft uh, when when it's in full operation. I mean, it, nothing will, will stop this. Amplodynes for it, which controls the the, uh, the DC amplodynes, they're up in the bomb bay. And we talked about the amount of stuff that's stored in the bomb bay. And it's when you're looking forward, it's on the left-hand side behind the new um, 522 radio assembly that we're installing with that restoration. If we want, if you want, let's go into the nose of the aircraft. I'll show you some of that. And then we're going to have one of our pilots come up and we can talk a little bit about what's going on in the flight deck and some of the restoration projects that have happened um, up here. Your dinner party was a hit. Your dishwasher took a hit. Your teen is giving laundry a try. Your dryer left you hung out to dry. Date night with the crush. Ah, your toilet won't flush. Luckily, American Home Shield is there to fix or replace covered appliances and home systems to help you stay on course and budget. Protect what you don't expect. Visit ahs.com for 50% off. Biden's new bill is giving homeowners free solar panels and a power wall, a $30,000 value. Today's a good day. Utility companies across the country are raising the rates by double digits every month. They publicly admitted that the price hikes will be the norm for many years to come. And I've seen it personally. I looked back at my electric bill for December last year, and it was twice as much as it was in early 2022. It's infuriating, especially with inflation hurting everyone's pockets. Thankfully, the Biden administration quickly passed legislation to combat this price gouging by the utility companies. And an addendum to the Inflation Reduction Act now makes it possible for American homeowners across the country to get solar panels and power walls at virtually no cost from the government. These systems can cost up to thirty dollars or $40,000. And before 2023, the government only picked up about 20% of those costs, meaning it would still cost homeowners tens of thousands of dollars to switch to solar. Under these new rules, not only can you get solar panels and power walls at no cost, the government will even pay for the installation. That means you get instant savings on your utility bills without coming out of pocket a single penny. After I saw my outrageous December bill and heard about Biden's new legislation, I immediately applied for the solar stimulus program. And within seven days, not only had I been approved, but had the panels installed on my roof. I just received my January bill and I couldn't believe it. Check this out. Zero dollars. Crazy, right? Imagine never having to pay for another electric bill ever again. Imagine having your air conditioning run all summer long without worrying about the cost. It could be your reality very soon, but you have to act fast. In all the years solar has been around, there's never been an offer this good to encourage people to switch to solar. However, 
There's only a limited amount of money available for this stimulus program. And when the money runs out, it's gone. And it's gone for good. The good news, if you're seeing this video, it means your area qualifies and there's still money available. But what you do next is super important. Big corporations have already caught on and found loopholes to eat up a lot of this funding. So you don't want to wait another minute to claim your entitled solar benefits before it's too late. The next steps are simple. Tap the apply here button below. You'll be asked a handful of basic questions to make sure you're qualified as a homeowner. By acting now, not only will you secure funding, but will help you get to the front of the line to claim this solar stimulus program. Remember, tap the apply here button below now to get started. Time is running out. All right, well, we made it up into the nose of our B-25 here. So we have the famous Norton bomb site that um, if you ever get a chance to read about the Norton bomb site and the mystique about it, you know, they spent almost as much money as half of what they spent in the Manhattan Project. So, you know, it was, it was claimed to be able to, to bomb a pickle barrel. And under ideal conditions, it was a good bomb site. Unfortunately, it wasn't designed particularly well for, for the... Uh, cloud cover and the high altitude conditions in Europe. Um, so we have one of those in here. We also have the 50 cal to kind of show the two different configurations. Kind of a fun fact, this is the only piece of glass um, in this aircraft, you know, except for on the gauges. And it's optically neutral. Otherwise, everything else in here, anywhere from the windscreens to the, for the turret, um, everything is plexiglass in this aircraft. Now we can drop ordnance. All of our solenoids work. So, um, and we can drop individuals or we can drop them as a full salvo. If it's a salvo, then it's gonna go and they're gonna come down in a nice packet. And we also have arming solenoids in order to um, basically activate or inactivate the fuses on the twin fused iron bombs. And up a, up a, in the top of the bomb bay, we have two 250 pound iron dumb bombs in this aircraft uh let's see restoration wise we have a little bit left to go behind behind you here we're going to end up doing the armor plating so that'll be one of our next big projects that'll be probably happening in the, maybe in the next three years there's a lot of things that have to happen before that time um and there were different configurations. So you're gonna see some B-25s that have a 50 cal here. Miss Mitchell did not have that. There's also some that have cheek packs. So you're gonna have twin 50s on each side. Those um, were not on Miss Mitchell. It was not designed for a ground, as a ground attack mission. That's not what its role was. Um, let's see what else. You could also have a 75 millimeter cannon. I, which would be in the H models or the G models, that would be filling this whole area up in here. They had a regular field piece and then they had an aviation version in the H models, the G model, which was the first one had the, had the field piece in it. That would have filled all the way in here and then there was a cannoneer in back. So it was highly adaptable. You could take this nose off and you can put a hard nose on. You could do a stacked eight gun nose and still a J. It's just, it just doesn't have the greenhouse. And that's the thing I really, really like about this airplane. It, it always seemed like if they could come up with a, something that they wanted this airplane to do, more often than not, they, it, it would perform that mission that was prescribed to it. So I don't really think in World War II there's certainly an, any aircraft that are more adaptable than this, than the um, North American Aviation B-25 bomber. Yeah, I'm uh, Trevor Henson. I'm the operations officer for the Minnesota Wing, the CAF, and uh, also one of the instructor pilots on the B-25. Um, been flying this airplane uh, probably about five years now. 
So we'll uh, get into some of the cockpit stuff here. Uh, pretty standard stuff. We got two batteries in the airplane. Our generator switches are on the left side in this airplane. And, uh, you know, a lot of these B-25s, these switches are just kind of shotgunned around and uh, no two are alike. Uh, I've got an inverter switch, nav lights, beacon, pitot heat, uh, air filters on this airplane. I'm sure, like Mitch talked about earlier, uh, North American built hydraulic airplanes, so that's not one of our hydraulic systems. So for filtered air, it's uh, hydraulically powered, actuated by the electric switch there. Um, got uh, fire detection on the airplane. Uh, so we've got our lights here with the bottle switches, and then we've got a loop test. And it's actually a little heating coil, so we'll t test that uh, on power-up and uh, test the fire detection both in the accessory section and uh, forward in the engine section of each engine. Got uh, some circuit breakers there, pretty standard stuff. Uh, normal normal six-pack. Um, obviously got a little bit more modern stuff in this airplane. Um, we do fly at IFR. It's IFR capable, and uh, you know we're not doing anything hard IFR on it. But there have been times we've filed IFR to get through a layer back back home from a show. So uh, we've got the Garmin sack in the middle, some more modern stuff there. Hi, kids. So it turns out this new T-Mobile home internet we got slows down when we're all online. There is not enough speed for all of us. So the only solution is one of us has to move out. It can't be mom because... My salary. Your mom's very successful. Jake? I'm the only one that laughs at your jokes. Thanks, pal. Lisa? I get straight A's. Yeah, but it's fourth grade. Can't be Sally because... I'm six years old. So it's me. Bye, Daddy. T-Mobile home internet slows down when you need it most. Get faster, more reliable internet speeds for everyone with Spectrum. Um, some more switches up here. This is basically a lot of the uh, engine switches. So it takes about three hands to start this airplane. Um, so we've got energize and mesh for starter on each engine and our primer switch. Um, mechanics did a nice job of redoing this so we can read all the labels now. But uh, right is pulling, left is pushing. Um, and we do have initial starters on this thing. So we'll energize, mesh and then uh, prime. Boost pump switches, landing light switches. Uh, I've got fuel transfers. This airplane no longer has the uh, aux tanks outboard of the wings. Um, so these are these are in-op now. We don't use them anymore. We just got the main tank, so 670 gallons on board total. Uh, mag switches, master ignition switch there. Uh, feather buttons like any other Big round motor airplane. And moving on to the right, most of our engine gauges are on the right side in this airplane, so temperature pressure gauges. We've got an attitude indicator for the right side. Uh, fuel gauges. And some hydraulic pressure on the far right side there. Alternate static source switch over there. We've got electrical panel stuff down here, amp meter, voltmeter. More circuit breakers, uh, radio master switch. This is our Bombay switch for up front in the cockpit. And the defroster no longer works. Standard throttle quadrant setup. So throttles, props, mixers, just like any other uh, piston twin. Uh, I've got a throttle lock here, friction lock for the uh, mixers and props. Trim wheel, kind of like a twin Cessna. Uh, moving on down, we've got uh, superchargers, 
the uh, high blower actually does work on this airplane, uh, although we never really use it. We're never we're never flying the thing high enough to really get the uh, the use out of it. If I remember right, it's about 300, 350 horsepower loss um, just to make up for switching into high blower. So we're never really flying it high enough to get the use out of it. Carby, that gets used quite a bit. These uh, Bendix carbs and these rights like making ice, so those get used fairly often. Uh, I've seen carb ice up to solid 70 degrees outside, so those get those get some good use out of them. Moving on down, we've got uh, cow flaps, flaps. Like I said earlier, North American loves their hydraulics, so everything's hydraulic in this airplane. Uh, gear handle. Trim switches, so aileron trim, rudder trim. We've got our backup uh, hydraulic hand pump. This airplane has the newer style brake lever, so a lot of the old airplanes you'd see just one lever. It's got a nitrogen bottle that you blow for the uh, emergency brakes. This has uh, two individual hydraulic levers uh, for the uh, backup brakes. And then moving back, we've got our hydraulic system selector valve. So three positions on that. We've got a position for brake. Uh, if we lose the normal brakes, normally leave that normal. So when we pump a hand pump, it's pressurizing the normal hydraulic system. And then the latch position is uh, in case the uh, main gear downlocks aren't engaged, that latch position will drive home those uh, downlock pins by uh, use of hydraulic pressure. And that's pretty much it for the cockpit. Like I said, overall, it's a basic, basic big piston. Okay, everybody, that was our episode on the B-25 Mitchell. We hope you guys enjoyed that. Thank you again to Mitch Bertrand for coming on our podcast and discussing this wonderful aircraft with us. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, that'll do it for this week, everybody. Uh, Maybe sure to follow me on Instagram, Aviation Avenue Pod. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, Aviation Avenue. Become a patron at patreon.com slash aviationavenue. Uh, be sure to use listeners or uh, subscribe to my podcast using the link in uh, any uh, podcast platform. And uh, check out my website at www.podpage.com slash aviation-avenue-podcast. And we hope you guys enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Okay, so long for now, everyone.